This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers. Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Libel Sturmbach is here, Joe McKenzie, and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words to the wise on New Beginnings. And our program is underway right now. Please welcome Dr. Shakina Pashaw Walters. She is a Master of Public Health and a Master of Science in Public Health. She's also working to improve the health outcomes for the general public. She's published more than a dozen pieces on public health, and Dr. Pashaw Walters focuses on providing quality care. She says this means providing high-quality care for citizens, and she does a lot. And I'm wondering, can you tell us how COVID-19 has highlighted health disparities Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me this morning. I will say that um, a lot of the disparities that we see and we saw throughout COVID-19 existed well before the pandemic of COVID-19. And so what COVID-19 did was really highlighted um, the disparities that we see. I actually focus on older adults who are using nursing homes. And more than ever, we saw the disparities within access to high quality care. We saw the disparities in outcomes of care. We saw disparities in mortality uh, increasing and more than we ever have seen before. You know, that was a big uh, push when COVID first hit. They said, take care of the people who were uh, much older in communal situations who might be immunocompromised. And I'm wondering, uh, how did we do in that uh, in trying to protect the older in our communities? Yeah, I think in our communities, we probably did okay um, once we started to buckle down and and focus in on um, some of the roles that were coming out. I think in nursing homes, though, there was a really big failure. Mm. And um, I would add that we've also sort of uh, forgotten that the pandemic honestly still exists. This isn't a thing that is behind us. Right. Uh, and so we still have to continue to be pretty vigilant about it, which I don't believe we're really doing anymore. So that's a bit concerning. Interesting. So in the midst of this pandemic in which you say we're still in, what have been the most critical lessons that we've learned about addressing public health disparities? Yeah, so one of the big things that I think COVID really highlights in protecting health and decreasing disparities is the need to focus in on our social determinants of health. So when we're talking about someone's health, their outcomes from COVID-19 or um, whether they're exposed to COVID-19, that's impacted by so many different factors. Turns out that healthcare is only about 10% of that impact. The other 20 to 60% is really dialed in on what we call the social determinants of health. And this is everything from where you live, work, socialize, all of those different areas of life that we live in, the communities that we're in, they all impact our health and our health outcomes. And so I think COVID on many different levels taught us the importance of dialing into our communities, but also pulling back from our communities and communal spaces um, in order to protect ourselves. What protective equipment we need, um, 
good hand washing. So going back to some of the true basics of public health, I think really came out during the COVID-19 pandemic. And for a long time, as a master's in public health, I had to explain to people what public health was for and why I was doing this. But I think after this pandemic, our community has become so much more aware of the importance and um, the different acts that public health officials have taken over the years to protect our health. How can we find you on social media and how can the community play a part? Yeah, absolutely. So I can be found at SF Walters PhD. Um, on Twitter, I am simply Dr. She on Instagram as well, where I talk about some of these things. Um, and if you are interested in any of the studies that we might have ongoing at the U, feel free to reach out to me at safw at umn.edu, and I'm happy to engage. Thank you, Dr. Shakina, for being with us this morning. Have a great one. You too. I'm Freddie Bell, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to our show this weekend, and it's Cancer Awareness Month. And here are five interesting facts about cancer. The word cancer comes from the Latin for crab, just like the zodiac sign. Cancer was first described by the ancient Egyptians. Number three, there are more skin cancer cases due to indoor tanning than lung cancer cases due to smoking. And finally, more than half of all cancers are preventable. Five things you may not have known about cancer as we celebrate not just a national day, but Cancer Awareness Month. I'm Freddie Bell, and we've got more on the way. Thank you for joining us this weekend on New Beginnings. It's time now just for fun, something on the lighter side. The New York Public Library is finding its own way to celebrate 50 years of hip-hop. Readers can visit any library branch throughout the five boroughs to get a limited edition library card while supplies last. The celebratory card features artwork from the soundtrack cassettes of the iconic 1983 film Wild Style. The library is also set to hold a hip-hop party at the Stephen A. Schwartzman Building on Saturday, August 5th. A Bakersfield, California woman has her wedding ring back thanks to a scuba enthusiast named Mermaid Mike. The woman lost her wedding ring in Bass Lake recently during her family's visit to Madeira County just north of Fresno. She contacted Michael Pelly, also known as Mermaid Mike, on social media and asked for his help. Pelly found the ring at the bottom of the lake after a couple of hours and then dove back into the lake to remove trash he found. Pelly, who says he loves to dive and to look for lost treasures, does not charge for his services. And it's wacky, but it's true. The life of a 65-year-old heart attack victim in the UK was saved when his heart restarted after the ambulance in which he was being transported hit a massive pothole. And finally, it's wacky, but it's true. A man was stopped at a border crossing in Canada. A customs agent noticed that the man was acting weird. When he took a closer look at his shirt, he noticed several moving bulges underneath. Upon further inspection, it was discovered that the man was attempting to smuggle four pigeons across the border by hiding them under his shirt. The guy told customs agent he only had the birds under his shirt because they were cold. Just for fun this week on New Beginnings. 
Even though the federal COVID public health emergency has ended, it's important to take steps to protect yourself from the virus. The ending of the public health emergency does not change the availability of COVID-19 vaccines. Vaccines will continue to be provided by the federal government through the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. It's also anticipated that COVID-19 vaccines will transition to the private market in early fall. You can learn more details about the transitions at the Minnesota Department of Health. Today, while you're going about your normal routine, 1,370 seniors will fall victim to financial fraud. Never saw it coming. Many will lose their life savings. He wiped us out. The Center for Combating Elder Financial Abuse conducts extensive research and provides comprehensive training to individuals and organizations to help prevent elder financial abuse. He wiped us out. How could this happen? Join the fight at endefa.org. Did you know that now you can see and hear Sunday morning services from Unity South Twin Cities? Search Unity South Twin Cities online and Facebook and catch the live stream Sunday mornings at 1030 on Facebook.com. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us. This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended to be legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast. You're listening to New Beginnings. New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. Dying with dignity and comfort is what we all want. Join us this week as we talk about living wills and how to ensure your medical wishes are respected, even when you're unable to voice them. And I'm with Label Sternbach. You know him. He is Amazon's best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety. And also, you may even have the book entitled Authenticity. His website is yieldsforyou.com. Label, I'm so excited to be with you this week, and thank you for the last couple of weeks of really robust conversations about trust and our wills. And I want to know if we can start, I I told our audience that uh, we talk about living wills today, and I said, gosh, I should have checked with Label to see if uh, you'd be willing to explain to us what a living (laughs) will is and why it's so vital to us. You know me, I'm always up to talk about random stuff. <laughs> so so why is it vital? What, what is a living will label? What is a living will? So a living will, well, as the name implies, it's a will for when you're alive. Um, it's, think of it, it, it's kind of a uh, catch-all term that encompasses a few different things, depending on your state. And every state has different laws and calls it different things. Um, and even within a state, you may have one hospital call it one thing and another hospital call it another thing. But what it is, is a framework of laws that allow you to uh, allow you to designate authority or to pre-authorize and predetermine how you want yourself to be treated or actions to be taken in certain events. So 
let me give you the the simplest example, right? The one that probably everyone's familiar with is do you want to, does a person want to remain on life support, right? If, if they become a vegetable, do they want to continue life as a vegetable hooked up to a ventilator and being, you know, basically kept alive by machines or do they want the plug to be pulled, right? At a very, at a very simplistic level, right? That question is what a living will would, would answer. But it can get more complicated, right? It can get into questions of, you know, do not resuscitate orders of if, if you know, if a person uh, dies, right, and they're, you know, they're clinical, they have clinical death in the hospital or whatever, do they want to be brought back to life? And for someone who's, let's say, in their 90s, right, or their very frail health, the act of reviving them, you know, where you're doing CPR and you're forcing air into their into their lungs, the act of doing those compressions, you're to do it properly, you got to crack ribs. And when a person's, you know, in their 90s, they may not heal from that or the, you know, the surviving that and coming back and, you know, the recovery may be worse than them dying. Um, and so do not resuscitate orders, the, you know, when, when to end life, what treatments do you want, right? Like, you know, you may want, you know, one set of treatments if it's just an injection or, or an IV, but you may not want to be subject to tests every six hours or invasive treatments. And so outlining what, what, um, what types of treatments you want, what medical actions you are okay with and not okay with. That is what kind of comes under the auspices of a living will. It also includes the authority for both the hospital and medical practitioners to follow those directives, because by default, they're not allowed to just, you know, not treat you, right? That goes against everything that our, you know, Western ideals are based on, um, you know, the taking care of the needy and, you know, treating the sick is, you know, you they don't have a choice. A doctor has to treat someone. Um, and if you're in the hospital, they have to bring you back. So having laws that allow you to circumvent that and say, no, this doesn't, this law doesn't apply now. You don't have to treat me, right? So that's what these frameworks are, what documents you need, how that happens, what are the circumstances when they come into play. Every state is different. Uh, every hospital may be different in what they'll respect, but that's what living wills are. They they outline, you know, who can who can who can take control of your treatment when you're not around to say it, how you should be treated medically. Um, what interventions you're okay with uh, if you're not around to give an opinion. Interesting. So I've just learned a new term this week, a framework of laws. That's what a living will is. So is that different from the examples and the outline that you just gave label than a health proxy? So a health proxy is when you appoint someone else to make to make medical decisions for you. Um, and again, a health proxy is something that fits into this framework of laws. Not every state, you know, has the same laws of uh, health proxy. Not all. I'm, I think there are states that don't even allow health proxies. Um, so it's something that, you know, you need to you need to see what's available. But yeah, a health proxy would be in that category. And you can also have, you know, health proxies that are potentially you know, you have when I'm unconscious and I can't respond or when I have no expectations of recovering, you know, consciousness or maybe it's, you know, 
um, being lucid, right? I'm conscious, but I don't understand what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. Then that's when this health proxy, or sometimes it's called, you know, uh, medical power of attorney, you know, that kind of stuff. May, that's when it springs into effect. And some of them are like, no, I want, you know, I, I don't like making medical decisions. And so if I can't make the decision, I'm not available. You can talk to my daughter, my kid, my whatever, right? This is a person who I trust to make my medical decisions. Interesting. Label Sternbach with us this week. We're talking about living wills. And I thought of a couple of questions after we discussed uh, wills last week and estate planning. And I'm wondering about uh, financial decisions. We covered that pretty well last week. But how how does a living will play with the financial decisions that we make at that time, as you called it? How do we ensure that everything gets taken care of? Is that already taken care of with uh, a simple will that we talked about last week or an estate plan? That's a great question. Uh, that's a great question. And I... One of my clients who uh, I was talking to about this, she used to work as a teller in a bank. And she said that very few people understood uh, that the thing that I'm about to talk to you about ends at death. And so I think as we enter into this conversation, I think it's important to understand that there's a big division between documents that give people authority while we're alive and documents that give people authority when we're no longer alive. Right? Mm. There's our Two very separate things, and generally speaking, the same document cannot be used for both circumstances. So I could have a will that says that when I pass, my wife can make all financial decisions, right? I will appoint her as my executor of my estate, and if she's not around, I appoint, you know, so-and-so, which is perfectly fine for a will, but that only applies when I'm no longer around. While I'm still around, while I'm still alive, while I'm still taking breaths, doesn't matter whether I'm, you know, aware or not, right? Like whether I'm mentally with it, that doesn't matter. It can be a vegetable in a coma, that power doesn't happen yet, right? That document doesn't come into play. It's just a piece of paper. Um, It's not even worth the ink that it's printed on. Mm. Um, so in order to give someone while we're still alive, that authority to make financial decisions for us and whether it's financial decisions, whether it's business decisions, right? Let's say, you know, I have, I have multiple businesses that I'm part of and if something were to incapacitate me, or if I was just unreachable for a period of time, those businesses would suffer. Right. And so I need someone who can act upon can act with my authority, whether it's to engage in deals and sign contracts and do things like that. And so that's where other documents come into play. And the most common one is called a limited power of attorney. And it's called, sometimes it's called a springing power of attorney. I'll explain the difference in a second. But a power of attorney allows somebody to act on your behalf as if they were you. Right. So if you I signed an unlimited power of attorney and I said, you know, uh, Fred, you can you can represent me, period. Right. I give you my power of attorney as far as the law is concerned, as far as anybody is concerned. You are me when you say you're acting on my behalf. You Mm -hmm. have no restrictions, no anything. You can walk into the bank and pull out all money from my account because you are me in reality. Right. Because legally, there's no difference between the two of us. That's a power of attorney. Now, nobody really wants to give someone that much blanket authority, right? That's a lot of blanket authority. And you should be careful because I have seen where 
unscrupulous children or, you know, lawyers who, you know, should know better have created documents that do that. Uh, so you never want to give blanket authority. What you do want is either a limited power of attorney where you say, I give you authority to act on my behalf for X, Y circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can even go a step further and you can say, and this authority only happens, it's a springing authority that only happens when this other event happens, when I'm unavailable for more than two or three weeks, when it's deemed that I'm not going to be able to make this decision, you know, in time or um, whatever, right? You decide what those circumstances are that you're okay with and your state laws need to allow it. Every state has different laws as to how those uh, power of attorneys can manifest, but that's what the document says and that's what it does. And it gives that person that authority to act on your behalf. And it could be a medical power of attorney or it could be a financial power of attorney or it can just be a general power of attorney. Um, that that's really up to you to decide what gives you comfort and what you want to see happen. And generally, those documents are one or to two pages long. They're not very long and very big. I can see the and hear the conversations across the uh, the dinner table or the breakfast table as uh, these details start to roll out. So I'm just curious, Label. So is is all of this is this at all related to asset protection trusts or Medicaid spend down? So those those are something else. Those are more okay. going back to the trusts and the specific use cases of trusts. Um, so when you have when you have trusts, they can protect assets, right? And now the definition of a trust is that it's a legal entity that owns something, right? That's the 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 definition. It's not a person. It's a legal entity that owns something that's not a corporation and not a person. It's, it's this unique type of entity. Um, and so when you have, there are trusts that you can create that protect your assets from like Medicaid. This is where Medicaid will uh, Medicaid will come in and say, well, you got before the state is going to spend their money on taking care of your health, we want to make sure that you've spent all your money on your health. And some states will say, well, you can exclude, you know, your home from that valuation, right? So we don't want to make you homeless because that'll cost us even more money. Mm-hmm. But will make you spend all your retirement savings where they'll say you can have up to, you know, 50,000 or a hundred thousand, every state's different. Um, so a Medicaid trust, spend down trust, you know, all that kind of stuff that comes into planning for when you have, when you potentially have a very large amount of medical expenses that far exceed your ability to pay them. And you need to go from having Medicare to having Medicaid and being on, you know, uh, a beneficiary of the state. That's where you want to get start engaging with lawyers who specialize in that because those rules are very state specific. Um, how do we protect your assets in the most amount of assets in a way that the state won't come after them while you're still alive or after death, right? Because the the state has both options for coming after them. And again, the only way that it really works is because it limits how much access you have to it. It no longer becomes your asset to control. It becomes this trust asset to control, or you stay within those, you know, lines. Makes a lot of sense. And we're just about out of time, but I would imagine that yields4u.com goes into some detail about this with a different planning guys that you have. 
Yeah, so we talk about it a little bit on our website. Um, we don't go into uh, a crazy amount of detail. It's something that we talk about in our state planning. We have articles about this. Um, but if this is something that really pertains to you, I highly recommend that you that you talk to that you talk to um, Medicaid um, attorneys if that's something if Medicaid is something that's in your future. Um, if you're just looking at you know, power of attorneys and things like that, that should be part of your estate plan. Um, and your financial advisor should really be guiding the conversation for you and help connect you with the professionals in your state and really who are very local to you, who can help you draft those documents and make sure that they do what you want. Because, you know, every state is different, not only every state, but every hospital network is different. You know, the state may say that you can do X, Y, Z, but the hospital will say, we will only accept, you know, why, or we'll only do it if you fill out, you know, if you do it the way that we want you to do it. So you want someone who understands that nuances and deals with that on a daily basis uh, to make sure that you get this done right. Makes sense. we got to leave it right there. If you like additional information, as I was saying, go to yields for you. That's yields, the number four, the letter U.com. And next time when we get together, join us as we talk about romance scams and the new threat facing single retirees. I'm Freddie Bell, and more New Beginnings is straight ahead. Here are today's words of the wise, live outside yourself. This advice reminds us of the profound impact of selflessness and empathy. To truly grow as individuals and to make positive difference in the world, we have to step out of our comfort zones and understand the perspectives of others. When we live outside of ourselves, we build connections, foster understanding, and cultivate compassion. It's through this selflessness that we find purpose, enrich our lives, and contribute to the greater good of humanity. So let's embark on a journey of empathy, kindness, and selfless living. Today's words of the wise, live outside yourself. I'm Freddie Bell, and we've got more on the way. Since its release, Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell has inspired tens of thousands. And in these times, words of encouragement can be the difference. How about you? Could daily affirmations and words of encouragement make a difference in your life? Find out with your very own copy of Words to the Wise by Freddie Bell. Available at Amazon, FreddieBell.com, and Barnes & Noble. If you have a positive COVID-19 test, it's important to stay home and away from others for a minimum of five full days from the date of the symptoms or the date you had a positive test result. When near people who live with you, wear a well-fitting mask. You can return to most activities after five full days of staying away from others if your symptoms are getting better. Continue to wear a mask around others indoors through day 10. A message from the Minnesota Department of Health. Each year, financial fraud steals up to $37 billion from senior citizens. It was devastating. What are we going to do? Many lose their entire life savings. They told us we had no choice. The Center for Combating Elder Financial Abuse conducts extensive research and provides comprehensive training to individuals and organizations to help prevent elder financial abuse. You wiped us out. How could this happen? Join the fight at endefa.org. 
Get the most from AARP, including advice and support to help you care for your loved ones. Fraud prevention with tips and tools to help protect you from scams and fraud, including a free helpline if you've been targeted, a scam tracking map, and watchdog alerts via email through the AARP Fraud Watch Network. If you don't know AARP, you don't know ARP. More information at AARP.org. And now, our supporting partner, AARP in the Twin Cities. Hi again, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and thank you for joining us this weekend. And it's our pleasure now to welcome Kathy McClear, AARP Minnesota State Director. We're here to talk about Brain Health and Dementia Conference. And uh, where is it happening, and how is AARP playing a part? Yeah, well, thanks, Freddie. This is such an important issue. And I think I should start by just saying um, the Minnesota Department of Health estimates that By 2025, 21% of Minnesotans, 65 plus population will be living with dementia or Alzheimer's. Oh my. And that's due to our rapidly aging, yeah, that's due to our rapidly aging population. So, you know, we just feel it's really important to be providing some tools for uh, those who are living with dementia or Alzheimer's, uh, as well as their care partners. uh, to help them live well as they experience that. And so that's why we're, teaming up with the Mayo Clinic, the Alzheimer's Association for this brain uh, conference on brain health and dementia. Um, and it will be happening at the Mayo Civic Center in Rochester, but we're also offering it live streamed uh, so that folks can join virtually if they need to. And that's on November 4th. So is the live stream that you're doing, is that uh, at any cost? Or I know there's a cost for the conference, but uh, what about the live stream itself? Yes, there is a cost uh, for in-person attendance, $85 in person, or uh, if you're going to join online, it is $50. And we feel that this will just be a tremendous value, you know, particularly to those care partners um, and caregivers to really help them find some practical approaches uh, to overcoming some of those day-to-day challenges in caregiving. Because when you're a caregiver of someone with dementia or Alzheimer's, it is a 24-7 job. And uh, some of those those practical uh, tips and, and helps are, are just so important. I'm told that this year's theme is Paths to Emotional Wellness. Uh, what does that really mean to you? Yeah, again, finding ways to help people living with Alzheimer's or dementia um, live well with the disease and have the best quality of life as they can. But also for those who are caring for those individuals, really um, giving them strategies for managing their own personal wellness as they act as caregivers, but then also responding with uh, compassion and making sure that you're providing culturally informed approaches as you are uh, providing that care to someone who's who's living with dementia. It seems really interesting that this conference, and we're talking about the Brain Health and Dementia Conference happening in Rochester, Minnesota, the first uh, weekend in November. And uh, it's just interesting that uh, this conference will provide a community for those people who are caregivers, the healthcare providers all together in one setting. That seems to me to be really unique. It is. When you are caring for someone with dementia or Alzheimer's, it's so important to help connect with others who might be having that shared experience that you're uh, that you're going through, um, so that you can, uh, you know, have that shared experience, but then also share uh, tips and best practices and things that might have worked for you. And so this really is about creating that community uh, to give people resources and information that they can really lean on as they go through that journey. I was just reading a statement here, and this really sums it up well. It says this conference strikes a crucial balance 
delivering valuable and timely information while capturing people's personal strengths and the capacity to live well. And tell us the place one more time. Join us on November 4th and need more information about the Mayo Clinic, Alzheimer's Association, and AARP 2023 Conference on Brain Health and Dementia. You can find that at aarp.org forward slash MN. She's Kathy McClear, the State Director for AARP Minnesota, and this is New Beginnings. Hi again, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and joining me right now is John Schwartz. He is the founder of the Center for Combating Elder Financial Abuse. And I noticed that uh, a 10-year sentence has been handed down for one of, I'll say this uh, differently, for one of your favorite people, John. Oh, Freddie, absolutely. Uh, Hey, thank you very much for having me on today. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. Tell us about Scott Cohn. Well, Freddie, you and I talked about this uh, before and a little bit of background on him. He masterminded a $300 million Ponzi scheme that targeted retirees and also military pension holders. In that, he placed more than 13,000 military veterans in exploitative loans. And also, he was in his 60s when he conducted this crime. So I call that an elder-on-elder financial attack. Mm -hmm. Then finally... He pled guilty on August 18th, 2022, which was less than a year ago, and few people have even have even heard of this case. So tell us about the, the details of this case. Why is this so important, and so why would uh, families listening this morning or today want to know about Scott Cohn? Hey, thank you very much, Freddie. So I'll tell you that this is one of the more complex and uh, sophisticated schemes that I've ever seen. And I say that because... He conducted a two-pronged financial attack. This is what I mean by that. The first prong, he conducted a Ponzi investment scheme or a pyramid investment scheme uh, that uh, I think most of your listeners would be um, familiar with. So he's doing that on one side. On the other side, he's doing something completely different. What he's doing, he's offering a lump sum loan for exchange of uh, military veterans' pensions. And Mm. in doing so, he was also uh, offering these incredible interest rates of up to 240%. So this is why I wanted to highlight uh, this uh, case, uh, Freddie. This isn't just a simple predator that uh, thought this up overnight. This is an individual that was very sophisticated, that developed this very complex uh, scheme that's hitting individuals from two different sides. And at the end of the day, I hate to say this, uh, Freddie, but he was very successful at this because he was able to steal more than $300 million, which is incredible financial devastation. What happens to the old adage that if it seems too good to be true, it is with 240% potential return? Now, that's it, Freddie. I mean, that's exactly right. It's uh, it's too good to be true. Um, that adage has uh, held uh, firm for years. I, it will continue. This is what I say to individuals. Listen to your gut feeling. If it just doesn't sound right, slow the conversation down, because that's another uh, tactic that these predators will use. They will try to speed up the uh, process to get you signed and locked into these uh uh, incredible uh, deals, which are, turns out to be absolutely horrible and fraudulent. But once they get your signature, uh, Freddie, 
now they have you. So that's what's important about listening to your gut feeling. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. And then slow it down and do not sign anything until you're absolutely sure. Aside from uh, the obvious difference with Bernie Madoff, how similar or how different is this Scott Cohn case? That's a great question. So, you know, it's very similar to uh, Scott Cohen, uh, excuse me, to uh, Bernie Madoff in that uh, it was a uh, Ponzi scheme. But what Bernie Madoff did not do is the uh, second part of it to where now he's offering these uh, lump sum uh, uh, loans. And uh, that's what differentiates this individual from uh, Bernie Madoff. So in some ways, Scott Cohen was uh, more complex than uh, Bernie Madoff, you know, believe it or not. Oh, this is so terrible. So you invest your money and then you take a loan and then you start, you pay it back toward him. So you, <laughs> it's just he's just taking money out of the left pocket and taking money out of your right pocket as well. But now he has been sentenced to 10 years. Yeah, exactly. So $300 million, uh, uh, $300, $300 million were lost, and it was only a 10-year uh, uh, sentence. And, uh, again, very few people are aware of this case, even though it happened uh, less than a year ago. So, yeah, that's that's what elder financial looks like today, Freddie. And I'm glad that uh, you have me on so that we can discuss this and share this with your listeners because I think it's very important that your listeners understand this. So final question, is there a redress for the 13,000 military veterans who uh, got caught up in this scheme? I don't know if there is, Freddie, but typically uh, it's not. Uh, there's very, very little chance that uh, you'll recover even a portion of that uh, money. So wow. prevention is, uh, is key here. If uh, individuals can learn about these schemes, learn more about them, become more aware and avoid them altogether. That's probably the best policy. All right. Three steps to protecting ourselves before we say goodbye today, John. Yeah. First of all, Freddie, uh, conduct an assessment on yourself uh, because that's exactly what the predators do. That's exactly what uh, Scott Cohen did. So what I would suggest do is conduct an assessment uh, with uh, a trusted and responsible family member and, you know, be an having an honest uh, conversation and honest assessment and rank where you are. And then the second step is identify any of the uh, potential weaknesses that uh, you've identified in those uh, conversations and those assessments. And then finally, uh, Freddie, what I'd recommend is uh, educate yourself. Uh, please uh, visit my website. It's endefa.org. Again, it's endefa.org. And we have 18 uh, uh, cases of convicted predators and people can take a look at these cases and learn more about how these predators conduct elder financial abuse. He's combating elder financial abuse. John Schwartz with us this morning on, on our program. And John, I can't thank you enough for being with us this morning to highlight this particular case and also to give us vital information that our military veterans can use and their families to help protect themselves. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Hey, thank you very much, Freddie. 
It's time for this week on the Freddie Bell Show. It happened this week in 1914. The Clayton Act was enacted, giving organized labor the right to strike and to picket. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge declared the Statue of Liberty a national monument. In 1948, nearly 30 years before he became president, Gerald Ford wed Betty Bloomer Warren in Grand Rapids. In 1954, Rin 1010 debuted on ABC. In 1989, the Reverend Billy Graham received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He was the first clergyman to be granted one. In 1991, despite the charges of sexual harassment brought by Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas was confirmed as Associate Justice of the Supreme Court 52 to 48. It was the most narrowest margin in nearly a century. At the age of 43, Thomas became the first black conservative and the youngest to be confirmed. In 2000, Curb Your Enthusiasm premiered on HBO, and in 2003, a Staten Island ferry collided with a pier on New York Island as it was attempting to dock. At least 10 people were killed and dozens of others were injured. It happened this week, and I'm Freddie Bell. Vaccines.gov is your trusted source for vital vaccine information, offering a user-friendly platform to access up-to-date details on vaccines, including COVID-19. Discover nearby vaccination locations, understand vaccine safety, and access resources for healthcare providers. With multilingual support and comprehensive educational materials, Vaccine.gov empowers individuals and communities to make informed decisions, promoting public health through vaccination. Stay informed, stay protected. It's all at your fingertips on Vaccines.gov, a message from the Minnesota Department of Health. As New Beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program, where we introduce the senior minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress. popular author Marianne Williamson said in her first and most famous book, A Return to Love, that God, the divine, speaks to us in a way we can hear. That's comforting. God gets our attention uniquely. For some of us, it's on Sunday morning in a beautiful worship service with wonderful music and focused prayer that some of us grasp that idea of the Christ incarnation, Christ within. Others explore this world of wonders in many ways the arts, exploring nature. And there, they really get it. They get that idea. Others reach a hand out to the world, encouraging the disheartened, feeding the hungry, visiting those that are in some form of bondage, mental or imprisoned. They reach out and serve another, lifting another up, and that's how they get the idea 
I tried to convey last week in the Easter lesson. This idea of service, ministering, helping another. For those of us that have most of our life needs met, we're relatively comfortable. Some are extremely comfortable and blessed with many things. People that live in abundance, if you think about it, they only get this idea, they only find this joy through reaching out and helping those who don't have as much. Think about it. Their prayers, their desires, their dreams, their goals have been met. Where are they going to find joy? But in helping others discover the goodness of God. And for those of us that have limitations or lack in our life, our joy comes when someone comes to help us, to lift us up, to encourage us, a teacher, an aid, someone that helps you and then you get it. This grand idea. I must be worth something. Carol came to my aid. Gerald thought I was worthy of help, of a little boost. As Marianne Williamson said, God speaks to us in a way that we can hear uniquely our way. Rohr goes on to describe this incarnational world view. The divine, the Christ is permeating all. He describes it as an idea in which matter and spirit are understood to have never been separated. Rudolf Steiner said it very sim simply and briefly, which is kind of unusual for Rudolf Steiner. And he said, there is never matter this material stuff, there is never matter that is not filled with spirit. And there is never spirit in isolation that is not expressing somehow in matter. Many of us have believed God up there, we're alone down here. The Christ idea. It's all one. It's all one. Our part is to understand that. In the church we would say it is our job to hold the faith. To believe in the unlimited possibilities. 
that good will express in each and every situation. This view relies more, listen, on awakening than joining some spiritual community. It relies more on awakening than joining. More on seeing than obeying. More on growth in consciousness and love than on clergy, experts, morality, scriptures, or rituals. The code word that Rohr chooses for this worldview, this perspective on life, is simply Christ. And in our tradition, it is, you know, Christ within. So I invite you this week, we'll begin in a moment of silence, but play with this preposition and this proposition. Play with this idea of divinity, of God's presence, of the risen one, of the anointed, of the power, of the good. Is it located within you? Or is it your proposition, your perspective, your worldview, how you see others, how you see this world, how you see the possibilities, how you see the path before you? It is a world of wonders. So let's take a moment and turn within. I'm going to speak a very old form of this idea. It inspired our prayer for protection that we speak every Sunday and hopefully more often than that. It was taken from the 5th century prayer attributed to St. Patrick. St. Patrick's breastplate is protection. And I'll speak it in part. I invite you to close your eyes and let this go to the very center, the very withinness of your being. Be Christ this day my strong protector against poison and wounding. Through reward, wide and plenty. Christ beside me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ within me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ to the right of me, Christ to the left of me. Christ is in my lying, my sitting, my rising. Christ is heart of all who know me. Christ on tongue of all who meet me. Christ in eye of all who see me. Christ in ear of all who hear me. 
You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the senior minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at unitysouth.org. That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week.